Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest believes in superheroes. In fact, he thinks that heroes are the humble ones amongst us. He believes in justice. He is the chaplain to the United States Air Force. Rabbi Welton, welcome. Yeah, so talk to me about your dad, he's a rabbi too. He's a rabbi as well in Berkeley, California, uh, now living in Sacramento, and he does kosher supervision. They once made a movie about him at Stanford called Kosher Cop. Tell me about that. That was exciting. It was my first topless role. I don't know if that's good for our uh, audience over here. Yeah. But I was basically, he was showcasing how to kosherize dishes in a mixer, Jewish ritual bath. And so the filmmaker was like, oh, can we get a clip of someone like putting the dishes in the water? And I was like uh, a cocky 15 year old. And I was like, I'll do it. Like ran out to my like chicken biceps, scale arms, jumped into the water. I was wearing a bathing suit. Did you get like your name in the credits? Yeah, probably. I don't remember. I was just excited that I was like, yeah, in a movie from Stanford. Yeah, that is really exciting. And what was that experience like for your dad? How did that all come together? I don't know. He originally went out to the Bay Area to help his friend, Rabbi Langer and Rabbi Sharis uh, run a Chabad house at UC Berkeley campus. And then he pivoted to running a Jewish Judaica store in San Francisco. And I remember going, to, going with him to work and there was a Tether Eleven down the block. He'd get Superman comic books and Slurpee and read comic books while he was managing the bookstore. And then we'd go home late. Sometimes when I'm in a car and it's raining a certain way at night, actually had I have like memories of going home over the bridge in San Francisco late at night from work back to Berkeley where we lived. And then after doing that for many years, probably when I was like sixth or seventh grade, he started doing kosher supervision or shia. And then he start, he kind of launched a nonprofit, sunrisekosher.org. And he's been doing that ever since. Interesting. You know, my husband actually went to Berkeley and I know that. Yeah, when we got married, we lived in Berkeley for a short while, and then we moved to Palo Alto. So my wow. husband actually knows those rabbis that you're talking about. <laughs> That's incredible. You know, my mom always says, they say it's a small world, but it's really a big Avish. Yeah, I love that. You know, I saw a video that you did on your YouTube channel, which I just subscribed to, where you compared the Noahide laws to the seven highly effective habits of Stephen Covey. I thought that that was interesting and creative. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I've actually, I had Stephen M.R. Covey on my show. No way. Oh my God, that's so cool. So twice. You are just so cool. You are just so cool. So I thought that that was interesting and I thought it would even be an interesting topic. 
that could apply to a broader audience. Sure. You want to talk yeah. a, a little bit about the Noahide laws? Sure. So if I'm not mistaken, Stephen Covey has a very strong background. And it's part of the reason why he wrote that book. And so I love people like that. You know, Mr. Rogers, another one of my heroes, same thing. People don't realize that about either Covey or Mr. Rogers. Strong faith backgrounds, trying to instill values into a way that could help people universally. And that's the magic of Bochite Code is people usually look at the Jewish people as being different. The Jewish people look at the Torah as giving them a responsibility to share values with all of humanity, all of God's culture. Unfortunately, we haven't had the chance, thanks to centuries of persecution and oppression and genocide, rape, murder, pretty much everyone wants to always kill us. We haven't really had the chance to live up to our responsibility to be a light to our brothers and sisters. So that's why the Noahide Code is actually not really known even by a lot of Jews. Because we basically, we basically tried to survive for all of these thousands of years since the destruction of our temple in Jerusalem. But when we had a temple in Jerusalem, King Solomon built it so that all people could come and offer suffices. And not only that, but the main pilgrimage festival called Sukkot, as you know, had 70 offerings where the highest priests of the Jewish people would pray for the happiness and success of different tribes of humanity, particularly we're talking about the ones that are not Jewish, that have other backgrounds, other families. And that's something which is so not known, I think, about our people. And so that's why I love talking about the Noahide Code, because it's like seven values that can apply to everyone. And uh, there's a great organization called Unite the World that really promotes this now, run by Rabbi Yossi Shulman, runs Unite that. Rabbi Yossi Shulman runs Unite the World, which promotes the Noahide Codes for all humanity. And he's an amazing guy. I mean, he literally just recently had a Native American thought leader speak about the Noahide Code to like 1 million Native Americans in our country. So he's a pretty cool guy. And that's the whole point is like these values are fundamental and universal. Yeah. Let's talk and, about, let's talk about yeah. some of these values that are universal. Yeah, I'd sure. love to delve into that a little bit. Okay, sure. So there's two ways to, to go about that. One is you just go chronologically, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The other is to go to the ones that are different than the Ten Commandments. Let's do that. Okay, sure. So a lot of people know about the Ten Commandments. It's actually in the architecture of our courthouses here in America. You know, the founding fathers of the United States were very religious, had a very strong faith background themselves. And the court system of our country is compared to the judicial, Jewish judicial system as well. Hence the stereotype, whether you liked it or not, of Jews doing well in law or Jewish lawyers. That probably comes from a negative background. But there is one thing which is true, and that is the Jews, because of the study of the Talmud, are used to that type of thinking, very much similar to the Confucian Amendment model. We have our written Torah, which is like the constitution. And then we have the oral Torah, the Talmud, which is like the amendments, interpretation, explanation. So you have the Ten Commandments as like the bedrock of like what the media calls Christian Jewish or Judeo-Christian values. And what's really fascinating is Maimonides, very famous Spanish Jew, he wrote some things that were censored by the church and that in recent years have come uncensored. And one of them was that he felt that there was a, a positive for the success of Islam and Christianity, even though Islam Christianity have spent many years fighting it out, whether it's the Crusades or other ways that have been bloody and terrible for humanity. Maimonides saw one positive thing, and that was this kind of gradual unity of values that we really actually agree on 
you only disagree in a little bit. We, we all agree in this one God. We agree in there's people called Adam and Eve and there are ancestors. We kind of all agree on some of these major faith hints. And then one of these felt that was kind of pointed to an historical arc that as you get closer to the coming of the Mashiach, this universal redemption that the Torah talks about for all humanity, we see that all humanity will start agreeing on their fundamental values more and more. That was Maimonides' opinion, which is a really fascinating opinion in how he looked at kind of the arc of, of history. And he was very into the Noahide code as well. He even wrote in his kind of magnum opus that our responsibility as Jews is to kind of inspire the world to respect and revere and live by this code. And so two of the commandments that are different than the Ten Commandments are one, the commandment against cruelty to animals, or I like to call it animal activism, and two, setting up courts of justice. Those two commandments you see in the seven commandments of Noah, the seven Noahic code, and the rest of them could be pretty similar, you know, not murdering, believing a higher power called God. Those are similar to the Ten Commandments, but those two stand out because you don't find those in the Ten Commandments. Why is that? Well, you could probably ask uh, greater scholars than me, but I think it's because the purpose of the Jew is to be a teacher. It's like one brother teaching another brother or one sister teaching another sister what to do, but they could only really do it together. So in other words, taking care of lives, setting up justice can't be done by the Jewish people. To have a global impact for those things, those are global ideas that must be done by all of God's children. So in other words, animal activism and the pursuit of justice can't by one tribe. That's the responsibility of all the tribes. Not murdering your neighbor, believing in God. That's very individual in a way. You could say, oh yeah, this me and my, my neighborhood and my city. But those two things I think are quite universal. And that only could be done by, can't be done by the Jews, only could be done by the other tribes of the world who God has blessed to be much bigger, larger, quantity on that stuff. You are actually a chaplain for, is it the Air Force? I sure. Well, thank you for your service. That's amazing. Thank you. So you've probably gotten to teach some of this that we're talking about in the work that you do. Oh, yeah. Thank God. You know, the Air Force is very into religious accommodation of all the women and men. Earth. So my responsibility as a chaplain is actually really one of the things I love most about it. I'm not there just for the Jews, even though I'm a Jewish chaplain. I'm there for anyone of any faith or no faith that can come to me and say, I need help with my religious accommodation and I'll direct it to the right place where they can get their help or do it myself. That's amazing. Yeah. So have people come to you with no faith? Yeah. I think most of my counseling sessions have nothing to do with faith at all. It has hmm. to do with what the uh, Air Force calls spiritual resilience, which I think is a beautiful term. Just, you know, the values that we have the goals and dreams that we have, the code that we live by, our principles, and how they translate into office politics and addiction and real problems that people have. Interesting. And you also do weddings. Uh, yes, I'm uh, absolutely honored. One of the coolest weddings in my career is going to happen next week with Evan Rabin. So he's one of my favorite people out there. So I'm excited for that. Shout out to Evan Rabin. He made this introduction. Have you been working on that speech? I didn't even know. You know, it's like one of those speeches where if I really start to talk about Evan Raven, they'll be like three hours later. The bride's going to be like, come on, Rabbi. So uh, it's going to come from the heart. I love that man. He's an amazing person. 
And what does that mean? I would probably translate it best as breakout Jew. Actually, when I self-published my book, you have to give it like a, a name so that you can market it better, supposedly. So I called the name of my publishing house Breakout Press because of Evan Raven. Because there's this line in Genesis about God promises that you know, gives a, a man that he has to break out. Ooh, for us, that you should break out in all different four directions. And the Kavaka Hasidic world really is into that idea of breaking through boundaries, breaking through limits. You can harness your God-given gifts to break through anything that's holding you down and back. I mean, Chabad's the perfect model because no one believed they'd be successful. And now they're one of the most, if not the most dynamic Jewish organization in the world. So they've definitely broken through a lot of boundaries. But it comes from this like ancient blessing that God gave to our forefathers, which is Uferas, to break out. So every time I hang out with Evan Rabin, he's always like pushing himself. I could come to my house for, for a Shabbos meal. And I know that, oh boy, he's going to make me do something like at the end of the meal. And he'll be like, Rabbi, we have to make a revolution to, you know, give more charity or learn more Torah. We got to do this. So I promise I'm going to post five, you know, well, with some kindness of this. He's always doing something to be like, you got to go above and beyond. So I preach this stuff, but he, uh, he tells me to do it. He's amazing. That's a good guy to have around. Great guy to have around. Aw. And I think the love rabbi, is he going to be there too? Yeah, we're not. Yeah, he's a raising guy too. He's a rock star rabbi. Yeah, he was on the show also. Oh my God. That's so cool. Yeah, when I shared Evan's episode, he was like, wait, I'm going to his wedding. I'm like, that's so cool. Once again, as my mother says, they say it's a small world. It's really a big God. Crazy. Well, tell me some limits that you've broken through. Ooh, it's a good question. Writing a book is a big one. No, nah, it's not such a big limit. Nah. What's that? What do you mean by a limit, though? Well, what you were saying about Evan. Have you had some struggles in your life that you've really had to push yourself through? Oh, yeah, for sure. Have you ever wanted to walk away from Judaism, or has that just been something you've been sure of? Oh, yeah, I, I, I talked about that in the book, me sitting in a nightclub in Tahiti without a yarmulke questioning God. Mm. I came back from that. Give but, me a little um, piece of that. You don't have to have something terrible in your life having to question God. To be raised in a loving family, in a loving environment, and still have problems with your faith. And really, a large part of it had to do with how my the people around me reacted to my questions. You know, like, yeah, my sister, I would make like off-color bad jokes, and this would just laugh it off. And she is like a Chabad rabbit at Vanderbilt University. And she doesn't even know how much that meant to me. Because other people would be like offended by the jokes. They get to look to fight and become like all negative. And I was just... Being foolish, basically, you know, uh, push boundaries just for the sake of pushing boundaries with no real purpose. I probably because I was trying to find myself. I wasn't sure who I was. And she just laughed it off as if it was a joke. They didn't take it seriously. Because I was trying to be as serious as I could muster, but I really wasn't taking myself that seriously either. And my father always had love, you know. That's why in the book, I quote this amazing story about Shemtov, where someone came to about Shemtov and said, my son has forsaken God. What shall I do? And the Bashemtov said, love him even more. And so I think a lot of people that grow up in a faith background and then question that faith, they get hell and brimstone from those closest to them, especially those who abide by that faith. And uh, I didn't get that. I got a lot of loves and acceptance. Now, I was very clear on what was appropriate and not appropriate. It wasn't like, it was just like, oh, you can do whatever you want in the house. That's fine. No, it was very clear. Don't do this, do that. But it was done in a loving way. And I think that's super important. Yeah, I think that a lot of, a lot of struggles I've had just been someone that's been a, 
first love that got me through it. My dad would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where? I mean, I think the reason we have such a good relationship now is because he's always loving. I can always mm. call him with any mood, with any challenge. And there really aren't judgments. Yeah. He'll just listen. Wow. There's not too many people that can be that way in your life. Not even how did, friends. How did he get there? He was very close with his parents. And he had a mom like that. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm also like best friends with his mother. Like we could have a three hour conversation. They both go deep. Wow. Both very loving people. It can also be a weakness though. He talks about that. Like he says sometimes, you know, he was so loving to people that his mom would tell him he's a sucker. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in the Kabbalah, they talked about Chesed and Gabura. Loving kindness has to be married to Gabura discipline. Even now, when it talks about rain in the Talmud, it calls it Gavuras the Shaman, the discipline of rain. And our people are very rain-based agricultural people. And the Kabbalah speaks about how if you give someone too much rain, you give your crops too much rain, kill your plants. I, I'm guilty. I killed so many plants from overwatering them. Literally, I think my beans in the backyard today, I like gave up. So I was like, that's it. I just did it too much. They're dead. Uh, oh, but you have to be disciplined in how much you give, which is kind of interesting because one of the modern marvels that Israel, the Jewish state has brought to the world is exactly this drip irrigation, like discipline in, in water. But it like ties into like some of our fundamental ideas in the Kabbalah that you have to have loving kindness paired with discipline, chesed and gavura, like a triangle a lot of times when they put the pen sphere out of Kabbalah. So chesed and gavura are equal partners and then they produce Tiferet. Tiferet means harmony. I love that. Yeah, you got to have boundaries. Yeah. Also, I am curious, like from that moment in the bar, like how did you come back to knowing this is the way? This is the truth for you. You got to read the chapter in the book. Okay, I like the teaser. I like the teaser. Also, what made you want to write the book? That's a good one. You know, I've been thinking in the back of my mind about like limits that you've been talking about. Ever since you asked the question a few moments ago. And, good, good. Uh, I like it. I think Uferatsta, one of them, one of my Uferatsta moments recently, I, I don't think I really talked about this. It was a really profound moment, actually. I basically, I got, I, I left a, a job. It was a very bitter and dark departure. And I was so bitter and pissed off and angry. There was abuse involved and a bunch of stuff involved for other people that I was trying to get justice for and I failed mm. get justice that was needed. And I remember going to the Rebbe's grave to the Ohel. And I, I'm born on the yard side the day of passing of his father, who was a big Kabbalist and rabbi, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Schneerson. Mm. So I went on my birthday to the Ohel just to like beg God, like in the merit of this, of the Rebbe, like show me the path, give me the strength. And I was totally broken by my limitations, like I failed totally. I thought that the hero was supposed to win and the hero failed. Justice was not, you know, people that I thought were good guys ended up being not doing what they should have and stuff like that. And I remember questioning if I should be a rabbi anymore. I was like, this is it. I'm t like, this is it. I don't want to deal with this type of stuff anymore. I'd say I'm out. And I'm sitting there and gathered around the table was a bunch of people having an impromptu for bringing. And you know what a for bringing is? It's like a celebration. Yeah, it's like a spiritual workshop. Stephen Covey would love it. Basically, music, food, singing, and talking. 
like your dad would say, DMC, deep meeting conversations, all put together at tour. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He, I would love to forbring with Stephen and forbring once you would be able to love it. And so I sat down because why not? You know, you never know what God's going to make you see or hear. The Bashem just said everything to see here in the lesson. Really, some random rabbi, I don't even remember his name, was speaking to a bunch of random people around this table. And he starts to talk about what lazy means, how lazy the Levites were servants of God in the Holy Temple. And their whole job is just to serve. And that's all they're supposed to do. And he was talking about how the Rebbe's father, his whole life was one torture and oppression. And he died from cancer while still fighting the KGB for the survival of his people's spirituality and helping people. And he was just like basically for bringing about how to blaze it. The Rebbe's father just served, even though he had the worst things happen to him in his life. And that's all he, we're supposed to be is to, to serve. It doesn't matter if we're successful or not. Our job is to serve. And I'm sitting there like hearing that. And then that got me to break through that limitation of being like, wait a second, not everything has to work out. and doesn't matter. My job is to serve. And it was such a life-changing moment because of my rabbinic career. Because then I ended up having that model. Like I'm here to serve no matter what happens. And that's my measure of success. That is deep, especially if you truly feel that way. Also work in progress. <gasps> that was desperately like a breakout moment. I had to break out from the, my, my script in my head that was holding me down and trying to get me out the door had to be broken. And a new script had to be put in that said, hey, the purpose of being a spiritual person is to serve. Stop trying to hold score. But who's right, who's wrong? That's big. Yeah, I think a lot of people get caught up on that, right? You need to look at it in a bigger picture a lot of times. Also, I've been to the O-Hell and I feel like I've had spiritual experiences there. Whenever you're at like a holy place, you really have to just pay attention to everything around. Yes. Also, it's interesting that they were talking about the Levites because your first name is Levi. Yeah, well, I, I named after the Rebbe's father, so that was, was lazy. So they were talking about it probably because of him, right? Definitely because of him. They were saying, wow. Levik, like his whole identity, given the name Levi, but that was his identity. You know, by divine providence, he lived out with his life. And there I am, some spoiled kid, you know, in America. And I heard that message and it definitely saved me from what I was going through too. And I still think about that very often when I go through the dark times of my rabbinic career. I think about that. I say, hey, hold on. I got to be like Reb Lazer. I got to serve. That's really beautiful. Yeah. How else do you want to serve? Ha, I want to bring the Mashiach. Please do. <laughs> Amen. Sister. <laughs> I'm ready. I think the, the world, world is ready, to be honest. Something's going on. Amen. Amen. You know, it's 2022. We're still dealing with the same stuff that uh, Kaya and Hazel did back in the garden. Crazy. What gets you excited? Like, what gets you out of bed? My alarm. I think one of the things I credit to the military is showing how much is possible. I never thought that getting up at 4.30 in the morning was possible until I went to boot camp. And that I've tried since that time to get up earlier than I ever thought possible. And it just it adds a couple hours to your day. It's fantastic. So the discipline, the whole point is you don't have to wake up excited. I always thought that I have to wake up. I'll be excited. I'll get out of bed and then I'll get up early. No, that's wrong. It's the other way around, actually. Get out of bed day consistently. And then eventually, when you create that space, you fill it with something exciting. So it's exactly the opposite. Don't be excited in the morning. Don't get out of bed excited. Just get out of bed every day. Yeah. Also, I am curious, 
What is it like being an observant Jew in the military? This is interesting because most people don't have such a big bush of beer. And there's a lot of people that help make that happen. One of my heroes is retired Brigadier General Israel Drazen and others. But I have to tell you that, you know, the Air Force is very interesting. It's one of the newer branches of the military, you know, only kind of created after World War II. But the whole point is the United States military is very accommodating. It's a very, you know, they stick up for people's rights and beliefs in a very beautiful way. And so when I had to get my beard waiver, there was like the Catholic chaplain, you know, batting for me and other people trying to help me out. Organization called Aleph Florida was helping me. You know, everyone that wasn't necessarily, didn't have to do it, stood up to the plate to kind of help me. So being an observant of the military could be tough to try and fulfill all the regulations and rules of my faith with the regulations and rules of the military. But people was, you know, they all, they, I've seen that in my experience, they had my back, my fellow airmen or chain of command. Not once did I feel that guy wasn't uh, being taken care of. What made but, you yeah. want to do that? What made you want to join the Air Force? <laughs> I actually didn't care about the Air Force. You know, so if any of the Air Force listening, sorry to disappoint you. I just wanted to join the American military no matter what branch, really. My ancestors moved to America before the revolution. When a man says fought at Gettysburg to abolish slavery. I had a great, uh, great uncle who was a pilot in World War II. My mother and father raised me very patriotic. The Hasidic community actually calls the United States the nation of loving kindness. And we have our, definitely have our issues in the past as a country, slavery and things like that. But the fact that the America was founded for religious films, that itself warrants the title of a nation of loving kindness especially so many countries that did not have that or persecuted people for their identities. This country, we would say neither they cuck, which means they get excited about or they're passionate about their identities, giving people freedom to be who they are. And that's an act of love and kindness. So my parents are very patriotic growing up. My mother is very into like voting. She always like harassed me. Did you vote? Stuff like that. Because this is the greatest country in the world. Yeah. And a large part of that has to do with our values, not our technology, not our military. But what's our values? What's our ethos? That's why I wanted to serve. Okay, so here's one that I heard from another Jewish observant person who was on here, Shalom Klein. I don't know if you know him, but he said when he joined the American army, people asked, why don't you join the Israeli army? Well, the point is like this. Joel's armies deserve our thanks. You know, United States is literally the greatest country on the planet. And our ally Israel is fighting for democracy. And they don't have like neighbors like Mexico and Canada. So they're fighting in a hostile neighborhood. And so if you join that army, God bless you. But I wanted to join mine. Awesome answer. Has anybody asked you that? Nope. <laughs> really? Yeah. No. That's cool. I'm, I'm surprised. Okay. So talk a little bit about writing the book. Is there anything that after you published it that you maybe thought you should include or was there any like unexpectedness in putting it together? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I originally, I was going to make the book like go until now, like my journey until like up to date. And I had all these heroes that I met, like a Catholic priest, Father Patrick Dubois, or another one of my heroes is Liliana Paria Mahuzo. She's a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. She's actually one of the people who reviewed the book. And they're just people that like blew my mind with how amazing they are, how inspirational they are. And I had, and I wrote like, different articles on the internet about kind of my experiences with them. So I wanted the book to be about humble heroes 
And I have so many. Even my current synagogue, Lincoln Park Jewish Center, there's a, a guy named Rakhine Grossman, if you go on YouTube, the Angel of Westchester, story about him. So many, so many heroes. Then I realized it was too much. Mm. I, I realized that, like the real point of the book is how the heroes of my childhood shaped my entire like worldview for the rest of my life. And so I wanted to end when I finished my adolescence. Happens to be I finished my adolescence in my late 20s. But be that as it may, I finished being a teenager in my late 20s. That was the point when the book was supposed to end. doesn't matter what happens next. I was an adult. I got all of the values that I had from the people who came before that. I absolutely love that. And I really feel like that goes with the theme of the show because I wanted to include the wisdom from my dad's generation and from my grandparents' generation and how amazing if I could capture the people who have shaped my life and then also offer that to my guests. Like I've even, I've interviewed people, I've interviewed their fathers, I've interviewed their sons, I've interviewed their daughters, but capturing what has shaped us, our families, the generations before us, our children, this is an intergenerational show. Mm, I love that. I'm absolutely honored to be on this. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking we should totally do like a book giveaway to somebody with like the release of this episode. And I love that the idea behind it was all of the people that have shaped you through your adolescence. I think that that's so cool to reflect on even like who are the people that made the biggest impact and imagine if you could be that for someone else. Yeah. The only one thing I would change about your show, I hope you don't get offended. Yeah. Give me the feedback. Uh, instead of calling it better call daddy, I'd call it better call Tati. Tati, Tati did it for there. Better call Tati. Okay, well, maybe we can make that the title of this episode. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you just said like the intergenerational transmission of values. That is the point of the book is there's so many people out there that I hope can get value from my weird eclectic background. They don't have to be a facetic Jew to get tremendous spiritual wealth from the people that I got it from. All the heroes that I got it from are not the heroes that Hollywood would promote. They're not these uber famous, uber wealthy, uber successful Elon Musks or Superman or somebody that I've been named by Hollywood to say, those are the people that make a difference. The superheroes have to be super to make a difference. That's not at all. Actually, all the heroes and the superheroes of my childhood were humble, quiet heroes. Hence, I call the book, Be Like the Moon. Because the sun comes in, and it sounds like this arrogant star, like, look at my light, baby. Like, no one else's light shine when the sun's around. But when the moon comes out, the moon says, no, no, I let all the stars have their light too. They could shine. And the moon says, I don't even have my own light. I just reflect light from somebody else so that other people could benefit. So that was like the whole point. It's like those humble heroes that people don't normally hear from or even know about, they're the ones that sometimes change people's lives the most. And we all have them too, as someone that like, changes their lives in a small way, but ends up being a big way. There are no more Hollywood debuts for you? Yeah. Do you want to turn this into a movie, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I want to turn this into a movement of people looking at their humble heroes and appreciating them and trying to be that too. You know, remembering that Balshemto said, basically Balshemto said this idea. Balshemto said for 70 or 80 years, an ashama a soul could come out to this world just to do a favor for another. Meanwhile, so many of us measure ourselves up. You know, one of the people I worked for, Rabbi Shmuley Boteyach, had a call like, oh, yeah. heal, I think to heal a broken American male or something. Anyways, in his book, 
Yeah, this fascinating thing about like friends of his who are multimillionaires who feel like failures because they're friends with billionaires. And so people, people, like, people like me are like, what? Give me a million dollars. I could use that. That's the whole point is you don't have to keep bringing yourself up against Superman or Wonder Woman. You could just measure yourself up against what small favor have I done today for another and realize that's all God wants from you. You have everything that God wants to give you to make the change you're supposed to make today. Everything you have is right inside you in your life that you need to do your mission and your purpose. And that's the most glorious thing ever is to live your purpose. That is such a holy message. I definitely felt that. That is so good. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? Yeah. I'd like to ask your dad if he put on filling today. Ooh, he's not going to want to answer. <laughs> but he'll say it in a loving way. So we'll have us for bringing together. And we'll invite Stephen Covey and Elon Musk to join us. I'm going to send this to Stephen Covey. <laughs> his book changed my life. When I was, I read his book for teenagers when I was going through my depression state. It's one of the books I still have on my shelf because it changed. I, I felt the light through his book when I was in darks. And how did I read it now today just to like try and capture that feeling of what it was like to be a teenager lost in reading his book, even though I've matured since then. So you're talking about his father, Stephen Covey. There's actually yeah. six Stephen Coveys. Nice. So I interviewed the son and the son, you know, took over Franklin Covey. Yeah. But I think that he will be so touched by what you said about his father. I think that he yeah. will really appreciate that. And he very much, I feel like, values that and wants to be a light for people that are having a hard time. He really, I swear, he wants to make a difference and an impact. I think that's really the driver in him writing his books and in being on people's podcasts, whether they're large or small, even though, you know, he's on this high level of success, he is a silent hero as well. He does so much personalization in who he connects to. It's truly, I, I'm so touched by it. I mean, he even sent me multiple copies of his book and he was like, hey, I know my team wrote you a message for me, but you need a message for me too. He sent me uh, two copies and, and, and wrote beautiful cards. I mean, wow. what he does in connecting with people is above and beyond. That's amazing. You know, the military is very passionate about his stuff too. Really? Oh yeah, we use this stuff to help our uh, airmen. I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, I don't know, I could introduce you and... You could bring him into the military to speak or something. Oh, he's crazy. He's, he's already well connected. He doesn't need me. That's probably yeah. true, but. Well, yeah. You could tell him that, uh, that a Fasida Gravine thinks he's a hero. That's, that's fine to me. That's, that's enough. That's really cool. All right. Well, let people know where they can find your book. Oh, another thing too. I know you write all of these articles. I actually read one that you wrote for Jew in the City about your mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from the book. Oh, that was included in the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to just say a, a bit about that? How that came about? How my mother came into the book or a story in the book? How did that article come about with you in the city? Oh, very good. Because I'm sick and tired of, of all these people bashing the Hasidic community as barbaric, you know, backward thinkers responsible for the measles or COVID. Or, and Hollywood has a, a large role in that too, stereotyping my community. And Jew in the city... That's one of her major goals is to kind of break that stereotype. And that's so important in today's society that people stop relying on stereotypes to look at each other 
And so that's why I wrote this book. You know, people look at Hasidic women. Oh, they're oppressed. Baby makers, you know, they don't get education or something. I don't know. So I wanted to talk about my mom was a Hasidic woman with a PhD and a feminist and what she feels and what her journey is, what her lessons are in life. And so there's a couple of chapters in the book, Hasidic warrior woman and others that were kind of trying to transmit how I was a kid shelter, but in a good way. Like I, I never thought like people were supposed to hate each other based on our differences. Guys, I grew up in a Hasidic family in Burke. So like when I went away to the big cities of Los Angeles and New York, that's when I was faced with the ugly reality that people go to their neighborhoods and their tribes and start creating narratives about the neighborhood and tribe next door that aren't so nice. I didn't get that when I was a kid because I was sheltered my parents' home. That's really the whole point of the book. Like you said, your dad, you know, kind of transmit those values that can make a difference for some of today. Well, you made a difference for me today. So thank uh, you so much. Hi, uh, shucks. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. And it's an honor to have you. I'm going to thank Evan. Hey, this is Rabbi Walton on the Better Call Tati Show. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. All right. I know the question that he asked you. What was that? He asked if you were wearing tefillin or if you put on tefillin today. I didn't wear it today because Monday and Tuesday was Rosh Hashanah. So you don't wear tefillin on Monday and Tuesday, but you're supposed to wear it if you get up in the morning. I certainly didn't do it this morning, but I have put tefillin on probably last time I went to the morning show, which was probably maybe about a month ago because, you know, I'm sick with COVID and then I ended up with the uh, shingles. So I haven't really been out as much as you know, but it's a good point because what his question really is, is that we're supposed to wear talus and yarmulke and be able to kiss the mezuzah and to be able to go to shul and hold. Fortunately, I've been able to lift the Torah the last few times I've been in shul, hold it up. As you know, I don't drop it on my knees. And God has given us symbols to remind us of the duty that we have. And he explains in his episode with you that it doesn't take much to help another human being. It doesn't take much service others. It doesn't take much to even service God. He wants us to be able to get his message out. And we are here try to promote that. And as we've talked in previous sessions, that we are part of his legacy. And the Jewish people being persecuted, being attacked, or standing up for the right things, it is quite an ironic twist that we're supposed to be a guiding light to the rest of the world. And yet, when you are in a position that's quote unquote, chosen for a bigger role. A lot of people out there in the world are very jealous of that. And instead of looking for that shining light and those teachings that the Jewish people are supposed to show the world, we've been oppressed and the message beaten down. <laughs> we live in a very savage world when God has given us an open book test to follow and get that message out. And it's been a very tough task. Did you also find interesting that our mentors, our examples don't have to be famous people, don't have to be sports legends. We can learn a lot. As you know, I've mentioned this before from your own grandparents, from talking to people from generations where they've accumulated the knowledge and wisdom and have overcome a lot of the adversities in their life where they can pass on messages that are quite valuable. Sometimes the greatest people 
on earth are those that do have humility, those that look to help other people and teach them where they can carry on. Isn't that what legacy is about as well? Yeah, he said, better call Tati. (laughs) Was it Pappy or Tati? Tati. It's the Yiddish word for father. But isn't he also carrying out his father's legacy where he comes from a rabbi where he's carrying out teaching and learning? And again, he's willing to share where there should be fundamental rights, fundamental understanding of values that pertain not just to the Jewish people, but pertain to everyone. And he mentioned two things also, that humans obviously should be nice to other humans, but we should be nice to the animals. We should be nice to our environment, and we should have some type of system of justice, okay, where people can count on the wisdom of people that are learned and understand God's messages and values of these fundamentals that people know that they can be treated right and not cheated and stolen from or abused, that there's a world that can evolve, not just technologically, but where humankind can step to a higher and higher level, and that there is fundamental rights and, and, and goodness should be winning out at this point. And we shouldn't be in this constant, uh, you know, like a hamster running on a wheel where we're just running and running and running and running and running and not really getting anywhere. That's no fun. (laughs) It can be quite exhausting. Okay. And I think, you know, we've said this also in some other episodes also, is that the, the relevancy of time is that things don't have to happen when we think they're going to happen. Remember, God is around for all generations and things develop over hundreds of years, thousands of years. How about over millions of years or billions of years? that things happen in God's time, but he gives us an opportunity, gives the freedom of choice to humans, be able to maybe escalate the timetable if we're deserving and if we make the right moves. But I think we still have a long way to go. I also liked how he has a lot of respect for his mom and how hard she's worked and where she should also be recognized. A lot of people, as you know, in my case, I have three daughters and been surrounded by sisters. And where a a lot of times men, if they're only hanging out with men, they don't have necessarily that same compassion or understanding of the value of of a female. And I know we all think a little differently, but certain fundamental rights, certain fundamental respect should exist not only between all people, but certainly between the sexes as well. All right. I'll send you his book. You're going to send me his book. All right. One last comment. And remember... To be a good person and be Jewish, but you can be a very good person and you don't have to be Jewish. You can have hardship and good things happen to you because we're all God's children. And the message that the Jewish people are supposed to be carrying out is sending that message to everyone, that everyone has value and everyone has a job to do here and a, and a value on earth. I thought what was also very interesting near the conclusion is that A person could be on this earth, all of his wisdom and all of the experiences and all his ups and downs, and yet the impact on someone else's life, maybe 70 years into the future, can have maybe even the most meaning to your life is what you did for someone else 70 or 80 or 90 years later in your life, which could be your greatest accomplishment or the greatest meaning to someone else. And that might be the only reason why you're here. 
And that could be the only reason why you're here is to be able to have that impact on someone else, a certain person or family or country going that that impact that you have far into the future is why you're really here. We don't really know. We don't really know. But that's why every interaction that we have on earth can be our greatest moment. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Bye.